going on, everybody? Yeah. For those of you who know who I am, it's probably kind of weird. <laughs> What's going on, everybody who doesn't know me? Uh, I'm Jared Bayless. I'm the creative arts pastor here at Element. If you guys are in the service or you're watching online, please click that share button. We'd love to share what God is doing here at Element. Um, but this is kind of weird. Um, I'm normally on stage playing and singing, but uh, they ran out of people to preach, so... <laughs> Here goes, right? No, actually, it's an incredible honor to be here up on this platform um, in this church to give this message to you wonderful people. So thank you very much. Our lead pastor, I want to say his name is Jeff, hmm. has been on sabbatical for uh, this whole summer. And he actually gets back tomorrow in the office. Um, but he'll be easing back into his preaching schedule in the next couple of weeks. Um, but we're very, very excited that he's coming back. But uh, we did want to say as a staff, thank you guys, thank you to you guys so much for just how patient you guys have been, encouraging all during Pastor Jeff's sabbatical. We really, really appreciate it. So as on behalf of the staff, thank you very much. Um, if you want to get caught back up with the Minor Prophets series that we've been in, you can go to our uh, website under past messages and check that out. We hope they've spoken into your life. And speaking of life, life can throw us some really weird things sometimes. I'm somebody who, I seem to have weird things happen to me. And I'm not sure why that is. Like this one time, well, so let me, let me give you a preface here. I'm a people person, so I trust people unless they, until they give me a reason not to trust them. So this one time I was in college and uh, I was working at an internet company that specialized in wireless internet for rural houses and farms and stuff. So it was line of sight. So we would go out and see if anybody qualified in their farm or whatever. And so we went to this early morning appointment. And so we get there and uh, knock on the door and this little kid with a toy sword answers and shuts the door really quick. So we knock and we knock until finally the dad opens the door. He's got bed head and he's wearing nothing but his underwear and a frown. And so he's also got the, his name tattooed on his arm and it's clearly done homemade. And it's going downwards in the spiral and it says Steve. So it's, so Steve, Steve takes us to his computer. We go in, it's a desktop computer. Turns out he qualifies for our service, but he doesn't have this card and we have to install it. We don't have it with us. So the guy who's in charge of me says, all right, we're going to go back to the office. You're going to get the card. You're going to go back out uh, this afternoon and you'll install it. So I'm like, sweet, my first chance to show him I can lead and uh, my first chance to be in charge. So I was really excited. I go back out that afternoon. The wife lets me in. I see the little boy with the toy sword. He's running around. She takes me over to the desk. And so it's up tall, kind of like this, and so desktop computer, and the wires are pretty tight, so I can't pull it out there, so I'm kind of leaning over like this, and I have to install it. Well, I'm, I'm kind of in this vulnerable position, right? So I'm, I'm sitting there, and I feel this little scratch on my inside of my ankle, and it feels like a toy sword. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to ignore him. He'll go away. But the sword began to climb, so it gets to, like, my inner knee at this point, and I'm like, all right, I'll just ignore him. The mom isn't saying anything. She doesn't know he's doing it. Um, if I ignore him, he'll go away. But the sword began to climb some more. So it's like inner thigh at this point. Okay, that's a critical moment. What do you do? Do you stop and address it? And you risk, you know, I'm, I'm on a tight schedule. I got to get done. Uh, do I have to address the mom? And do I, am I scolding the kid and so on? So I think I'm going to power through. I can make this. Uh, I'm almost done. But the sword began to climb and climb until I did this. <laughs> so I turn around, and I've got a little bit of fire in my eyes because I'm like, okay, now you, mm, mm, mm. And so there he is, crouched down with this little toy sword, is Steve. 
So this is the dad has been poking me. So, so I turn around, I'm like, like, I don't know what to say. And he starts cussing in embarrassment. And he finally says, well, crap, dude, I thought you were the guy from the mall. I was like, what did you do to the guy from the mall? <laughs> he never tells me. Um, we have this good nervous, never talk about this again, laugh. I install the card and I book it out of there. I'm thinking, I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to be in charge. This is awful. I don't want to do this. Now, that's a funny instance, but in life, as we trust and we distrust each other, we start to form these patterns, these social norms, and we don't like confrontation, so we start to lie. And, you know, we start small. We, you know, we stop, start telling each other we don't look fat in dresses. And Well, not me anymore, but <laughs> women ask that. And so we start breaking laws like speeding and, you know, illegally downloading music and movies, and that spills into making laws that weren't legal before to justify things that we didn't get to do before. And then we start realizing that leaders are really no different than those that are following them. And if they can't be trusted and can't be counted on, then why follow them? Well, we're talking about Malachi today. And he was a prophet who had a really difficult job. He was called upon to call out uh, the believers of God for being fake. He did it not because to smooth things over. He did it because it was right. And he was called to wake up the chosen people of God because they had let uh, time pass in their hearts and their minds and begin to wander in a really enticing world. Sound familiar? So this should be fun. <laughs> right, okay. You guys can have fun. Uh, it's okay. This is a tough message, but it's okay to laugh if it's funny, I guess. <clears throat> so, no, but um, if you're not a believer and you're here today, we are so glad that you're here. And this might not all apply to you, um, everything, and you're not held to this same standard. But you can feel free to sit back and grin and, uh, at us, at our flawed behavior as believers. But if I'm honest, uh, hang with me, because I think there's something beneficial for you too. Because um, the world is a super confusing place. And if you're a Christian, it's even more confusing, right? And back then, um, it's the same as today. Have you noticed there seems to be a mark of cynicism on the people of God today? Well, the same thing was happening back, back in the time of Malachi, and the leaders of God were really no different than the leaders of the world, and we're seeing a lot of that still today. So we got to fix that, right? So we got to change that. So here's the big idea of what we're talking about today, and it is this. If you're, going to be, if you're going to lead, stop acting like a follower. If you're going to lead, stop acting like a follower. And that, that still applies to us today. And so here, what are some ways we can learn from Malachi? So we're going to jump right in. Here is number one is this. Unfaithfulness is oftentimes unwillingness. Unfaithfulness is oftentimes unwillingness. Now Malachi makes this call. He's gotta, everybody's got to start cleaning up their home lives because it wasn't like the people of God didn't know what they were doing because they did. I mean, they were cheating, on, uh, they were cheating God on their ties and they were getting divorced left and right and they were intermarrying with non-believers and they were cheating on their spouses and Malachi had just had it. He didn't want any more of it. But what I love about Malachi is he super sarcastic? It's right up my alley. It's awesome. So let's, let me show you. <laughs> Malachi 1, 6 through 8 says this. The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priests, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown, ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? See, it's pretty good, huh? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? 
Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Well, back then, you had to sacrifice your very best animals to atone for your sins. I mean, Jesus had not yet come back, had come and, and died for our sins to atone for our sins now. So thankfully, we don't have to do that. But they weren't giving their best. They were giving their crippled animals instead of their very best. And the people of God were cheating God. And so let's be honest. We don't always give our best either, do we? And is it because we can't? Eh, not really. A lot of times it's because we're unwilling to. We become unfaithful when we become unwilling to give God our excellence. And it's much more than just, being, than just slaughtering animals anymore. What about our tithe? What does our tithe look like? And God commands us to tithe, not because he needs it. He doesn't need our money. He knows that it holds our hearts captive. And so a tithe actually means a tenth. So a tenth of your salary, a tenth of your earnings, a tenth of whatever you've been given. So let me ask you this really hard question this morning. Are we even tithing? Are we cheating God too? God's people were cheating on their wives. That doesn't sound unfamiliar either, does it? I mean, nobody sets out to have an affair, right? Nobody goes through all of the dating and all of the wedding prep and bridezilla and the wedding day and, you know, and joint bank accounts. And then you have children, so you have this wonderful, blessed opportunity to be with somebody else. And that doesn't make any sense. I mean, no, nobody would agree to it on either side if that's what the case was. But we've become unfaithful in our marriages when we've become unwilling to invest in our marriages. But marriage is hard, right? And having a family is hard. And tithing is hard, especially when you don't make very much. And pursuing your wife after many years of marriage is hard because you keep getting her flowers and you keep wondering, I don't know why you want these because they're just going to die in a couple days anyway. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> and it's hard to tell your husband how much you, you appreciate all he does for your family when he just mumbles away every compliment, right? Guys? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the world is watching us. The world is watching us in our marriages, in our finances, in our schedules, in our temperaments. And if we're going to be the leaders, we better stop acting like followers. Because how can we show, point people to a faithful God in an unbelieving world when we're, we're unwilling to address our own unfaithfulness. I mean, why would they even consider it? Malachi 2 says this, 13 and 14. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Well, not much has changed here either. I mean, we, we cry out to God, we make this big scene, and all the while, we're just holding on to this known sin we're unwilling to let go of. And listen, I can call myself a believer of Jesus Christ, but if I'm habitually, unrepentantly sinning, and I know the difference, and yet I'm still asking for God's blessing, I should not be surprised by the silence that I or you are hearing. I mean, if you want to see results, you have to be willing to put in the time to see and experience the blessings of those results. And our faith is no different. I can't have a great marriage if I only talk to my wife for one hour a week. And I can't have a great relationship with Jesus if I only talk with him or, or learn about him for an hour a week. 
I mean, the people of Malachi were unfaithful, not because they didn't know what to do, but because they had chosen to stop following God's plan. And like them, oftentimes, our unfaithfulness is simply unwillingness. Here's the second thing we can see from Malachi that also applies, applies to today, and is this, number two. Repentance is an action which leads to renewal, not rejection. We don't like the word repent. It's, uh, ooh, it's, mm, it's judgmental. It's churchy. It doesn't feel good, you know? But actually, the definition of repentance is it means to turn from sin. And if you're a believer, you should want to turn from sin. You came to know Jesus because you turned from sin. You came to know Jesus by turning from sin by repentance. Right, yes, following along, good, cool. And how did that feel? How did that feel when you came to know him? It felt amazing, did it not? You felt like a whole new person. But life is hard and sin is very strong. I mean, if I offered, if you told me your struggles and your complaints and how life is going, and I gave you this as a solution, oh, have you considered repenting of your sins? You want to punch me right in the face, don't you? Because <laughs> I would. And while I would never actually say that to somebody, we, we perceive repentance as judgment and as anger and it seems like rejection. We hear repent and we, and we instead hear reject sinner, imperfect, and we feel mocked. But repentance is actually meant for more than just turning from sin. It's about renewal and restoring and refreshing your soul. We've just done a poor job as the church communicating it. But when we're spiritually disgusting and we are broken down and we finally come to Jesus, what do we say? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for straying so far. How did I let it get this far? Help me, Jesus, I need you. And how does that feel? Humbling, yes. But it feels like a building has come off your shoulders. You feel like a new person. You feel renewed. You feel restored. And you see sin will hang on as long as it can, and it will justify every reason it should still reside within you. And we talked about marriage in a symbolic way, about us between us and God, but, but Malachi actually talks about another way of marriage for us, and it looks at, at, at this at number chapter two. Jeez. And it says this, Ch chapter two, yeah, 15, all right. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. So when I was asked to speak and it was on Malachi, I'm like, okay, let's see what Malachi's got. I got to get a refresher. I get to the part that says, for I hate divorce. And I was like, oh, that's going to be fun to talk about. Oh, great. Thanks for giving me that one. But I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, Ugh, shut up. Like I got something for you because the Holy Spirit says shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but really, divorce, just that word, it makes you, some of you guys in here are cringing, just hearing that word, divorce. And listen, I have not been divorced, but I have seen what divorce has done to people, including my own family. So I know it's personal. It is uncomfortable. And I may have read out loud, for I hate divorce, says the Lord. But here's what some of you read instead. For I hate you, says the Lord. 
You don't want to hear that you've disappointed God or that he hates something you did, do you? No, none of us do. But that's not what this verse said. It says he hates divorce. You've just been listening to a lie this whole time. And for those of you who are divorced, I want you to think about why he hates divorce. Because he does not hate you. I want you to think about what divorce has done to you, what divorce has done to your family, what divorce has done to your kids, whether recently or all those years ago. I want you to think about the pain, the misery, the sleepless nights, literally sick to your stomach, crying until you had no more tears to give, all the while you're trying to pretend like nothing's wrong and you're trying to hide it from your family and your friends and your kids, but all the while it feels like your heart's been ripped out. And that right there, that feeling, is why God hates divorce. He hates watching you go through that. He hates having to have seen you go through that. And like a loving father, his heart breaks for his children. That's why he hates divorce. So no, church, he does not hate you. He hates what divorce has done to you, how it's crippled you, how it's scarred you. And you may need Jesus to renew you. Repentance is more than just turning from sin, but it's reuniting your heart and renewing and renewing your vows to Jesus. Repentance can ensure your marriage now will not end like the last ones. If you're single and you're here today, repentance can make sure and ensure that your relationships moving forward will not be like the last ones. And you're going to avoid divorce because of the people that you're going to choose now. Divorce is not the end. And God can use your brokenness for his glory if you would just simply allow him to. He's not rejecting you, but he's inviting you in to refresh and renew your soul. And it's so much more than just relationships, right? It's everything we do every day. And if we're the leaders God has called us to be to an unbelieving world, we got to clean up our home lives. In Ephesians 4, Paul says to stop living like the Gentiles who live in oblivious darkness and with no sense of shame because we as believers did not come to know Christ that way. We came to know him as undeserving and we needed grace and deliverance as undeserving sinful people who needed a savior. So let's stop acting like followers and let's start living like leaders. Here's the final point. And how we can start acting like leaders. Number three, love oftentimes has boundaries. Love oftentimes has boundaries. When my wife and I were dating, we were at the grocery store. And so we had come to the front automatic doors at the same time as this lady in one of those scooter rascal things with the basket. So I naturally like backed up and was like, oh, excuse me, go ahead. I'm sorry. And she didn't even acknowledge me, didn't look, just kept going. I'm going to be honest, that drives me crazy. I don't know if some of you, you hold a door open for a stranger and they don't say anything, they don't say thank you, it drives me crazy. But whatever, you know, we all get in the zone in the store. It's okay, just whatever. I'm in the snack aisle. So I'm looking at some snacks and I take a step back and out of the corner of my eye, I see the rascal scooter nearly clip my heel. So I'm like, whoa, my natural reaction is, oh, I'm sorry. And she doesn't say anything. She's talking to her kid. She keeps on driving by. Okay, I'm a little irritated now because that's two strikes, right? Okay, show grace, let it roll, roll off your shoulders, whatever, it's the store. I'm in the cheese aisle, okay? <laughs> so I'm at the cheese aisle, and I remember my shins are touching the aisle there, and I'm looking at 
cheese or something. And I feel this, literally, my knee just goes, oh, like that. And something has rammed right into me. I look down and there's the rascal scooter has just slammed into the side of my leg. And I, I've had it at this point. So for whatever reason, I just turned to her and I said, well, 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 we meet again. <laughs> and Vanessa's super embarrassed. And the lady does not say a word to me. I don't know. She was out to get me. But we all have boundaries, right? Limits to the brink of how far we can go. That lady obviously pushed me to my boundaries. But we are the same way with God, right? We, we don't like boundaries, and love has boundaries. God has boundaries. Like the same way, okay, so you got your kid, and you throw them up in the air a couple times, and then they come back to you like 50 more, and they're like, do it again. And you're like, not now. And then they go away for like two seconds, and then they come back, and they're like, how about now? And you're like, how about never? Right? Like, you love them, and you would die for them, but you have boundaries. And, they, and, and you know, like you do it because you love them. They just need boundaries. They don't always get what they want. But we treat God the same way. We, we get all mad at him, and we don't want boundaries. But we need boundaries, and we need accountability because we live in a world that doesn't want boundaries and does not want accountability. And so we throw tantrums and we call God a loveless God who doesn't want us to be happy in order to avoid boundaries. But like repentance, boundaries and accountability are healthy and they are needed. So we treat God the same way, but it's not, you know, your kids, you don't put boundaries on them because you don't love them, do you? No, you put boundaries on them because you love them, because they cannot see what you already know and see. And we treat God the same way. We get mad at him for how life is gone. And we've thrown tantrums and we want his word to say certain things that we want to do certain things. But listen up. Here's the thing. Here's one of the reasons why people are so mad at God today. And many times, and I am guilty of this too in my life, have projected and we have placed flawed human traits on a perfect God of the universe. Now think about it. We want God to understand us and to show grace as we know grace in a human sense, Right? We want him to look the other way in our trials and our relationships and consider that we're happy. And he should be happy that we're happy, even though he says we're living in sin. We want him to be flawed like us so we can feel better about ourselves. We want him to be okay with sin because we have to deal with it every day and it's pretty tiring. We're asking him to be, he's perfect and we're asking him to be imperfect. And he wouldn't be much of a God if he did that. No, would he? But I'll tell you what he did do. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to create a bridge to even approach his throne. And I'll tell you what, he has already compromised for us beyond what we even deserve. But let's back up a second. Let me tell you how much he loves you. And Malachi Start, begins and ends the book with two very different kinds of loves. Loves, loves, yeah, whatever. And here's the first one. Chapter one says this, starting in verse two. I have loved you, said the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Oh, geez, there's that word hate again. I'm going to talk about it twice today. That's awesome. But all kidding aside, God did not hate Esau in the way that we think of hatred. This is not like a hatred like we have seen in our country recently. That is a sinful hatred. No, this was a rejection based upon the consequences of Esau. 
Esau was the firstborn over Jacob, and he sold that birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. He gave up the chance to be in the direct lineage of Jesus because he was hungry. That's the ultimate example of being hangry, right? <laughs> but can you see why God was so insulted? So this was not sin that brought, this is not hatred that brought about sin, but this was a rejection and a consequence because of a lack of self-control for a blessing that was given to him and he just threw it away. And now he's gonna use Jacob to fulfill his plan now that everything else would seem like hate. God loves you so much. He places boundaries up and he wants to protect you. That it almost seems like he hates anything else. The act of love would be so great that it would outdistance every other emotion that everything else would be compared to hate. He just wants you to be with him one day so much that he would hate anything else that would separate you from him. And that is sin. He hates sin because it separates us from him. And these boundaries, which are so full of love and accountability, boundaries meant to keep us away from sin, what would those look like? Boundaries, what would those look like to an unbelieving world? Hate. They would look like hate. Our culture rejects accountability and boundaries. They see them as a barrier to progress. But let me ask you, doesn't it seem like the world is filled with more hatred with less boundaries? And when we try to communicate these boundaries that God wants for all of us, that through his son Jesus, you can find life and peace and fulfillment like you've never seen, it feels like hate to them. But here's the final act of love that Malachi gives us to the end of the book. And that's a tough love. And that is despite everything I've told you, no matter how I communicate or how I say it, your faith is your own. And you have to put in the action steps to do something about it because your faith is not your husband's or your wife's. Your faith is not your pastor's or your church leader's. Your faith is your own. And one day, whether we want to talk about it or not, we will be held accountable and give account for that faith because there is a coming judgment for us all. But oh, judgment, oh, there's that word. Mm, you're not supposed to say judgment. You're not supposed to say judgment. That's a bad word because it brings uncertainty and fear. And we have lost the fear of God and we fear the end more than we fear God. We have lost this reverence for him. And I am not, nor will I ever be a prophet. But like Malachi, I have to tell you the truth because not to smooth things over, but because it's right and that I or anybody else on this platform or any platform that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ is doing you a disservice if we don't. We all have to give account for our actions one day and that's scary as crap, I know, it's scary. And you don't have to listen to a single word that I say because you will not and do not have to answer to me in the end and, and be glad for that because I would be awful at it. You would get to the gates and I'd be like, okay, run down your life story for me again. <laughs> oh yeah, man, I'd have done the same thing, get in here. <laughs> then, then an angel would come up and I'd be like, excuse me a sec, oh, um, I guess I'm being told we can't do that. Um, it would just be awful. You guys are getting it. But God loves you so much. But think about this. Just like the child who has abused your trust over and over and over until you say, I'm sorry, no more. 
I love you, you've had your chances, and I'm done. His love may be limitless, but his patience has boundaries. But as much as we don't wanna face it, sometimes we are that child unwilling to grow up and take our faith seriously. And we always say, oh, if and when and then, and I'll do it then. But one day we're gonna have to stand before God and he's gonna have to say, I loved you, I called and I prompted, but you had your chances. Jesus came to this earth the first time as savior and friend, and he will return a second time, but this time as king and judge. Church, the world is not gonna get any easier and we're not told that our life's gonna be perfect. It's going to be hard. And we're at war, we're at spiritual war every day. We're being attacked every day. And if somebody came to your house and was attacking your family in a different way, in a new way every day, you would get out ahead of them. You would think of what you could do to get out ahead of it. You would protect your family at all costs. And yet the enemy comes to destroy you every single day. And you let him in every day, unchecked and untested. And we can't figure out why we can't feel God near to us. We're at spiritual war right now. And who will answer when the world is filled with hate and it's masquerading as light, but yet it's darkness? And who will answer when this world is tired of looking to sin to fulfill their hearts and their broken hearts? And who will answer when you are going through trials and those are going through trials around you and we can't even make it through our own? Have you ever thought that maybe the trials that you're going through right now, the unanswered prayers in the season of life that you're going through is not about you? What? You can't say that. It feels like it's about me. But listen, let me tell you, have you ever thought that your trials that you're going through are about somebody else? Because somebody needs to see how you're gonna go through these trials and the only way they wanna see how you come out of them, the only way that you can say that you did was because of Jesus Christ? Malachi says, talks of a promised messenger and a son of righteousness that would come and that would be Jesus. So who will join me on the front lines to reach people for Jesus? And who will join me and never relent until he takes us home? And who will pursue righteousness and show grace and give hope to a dying world? Or who's gonna be like the Gentiles who let darkness and shame rule their heart and they live for lustful pleasures? I pray that if you're a believer of Jesus Christ today, that you would wake up and you would choose them like you never have before because time is limited, my friends. So it's time to stop cheating on our spouses and being slaves to pornography and it's time to stop the hypocrisy and the cheating and the lying and withholding our best from God because this is not what you envisioned being a leader and a follower of Jesus Christ was. And you, man of God, and you, woman of God, and you, man of God, and you, woman of God, did not come to know Christ that way. St. Augustine says, we love the truth when it enlightens us. We hate the truth when it convicts us. Listen, I'm not telling you all this for any other reason than I love you. And this is a tough message and it applies to me too. But I'm not telling it so you guys will like me. I'm telling you because it's right. But it doesn't seem like a fair first message though, does it? <laughs> I guess I could have come out and just been like, hey, stop. But church Malachi was the last prophet to speak before God would go silent for 400 years. 
And we are again in a modern day Malachi where God has yet again silent until Jesus returns again. And it may or may not be 400 more years, I don't know. But just because he's silent does not mean he's not there and that his will and his plan for you are not in the works. Because Paul says that he will come back like a thief in the night and none of us are gonna be expecting it. So it's time for us to start acting like God-fearing men and women and start living like followers of Jesus. We can do this. You can do this. You're stronger than you know. Would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, we are so sorry for our unfaithfulness. You did not call us to walk in darkness, but to walk in light. And forgive us when we've chosen darkness. We come to you in repentance and renewal so that you can restore what we have fractured in our lives. Thank you for your unstoppable love that pursues us. But we acknowledge your patience has boundaries and forgive us when we've strayed from that amazing love. It's time for us to step it up as your people and walk as leaders, shining your hope and your love to this hurting world. Jesus, if I have not accepted you today as my savior, I'm doing that now. And I may not understand you fully yet, but I'm taking my next step and I'm asking for your forgiveness and accept you into my heart because I know the only way to heaven and I need repentance and mercy and love that only you can offer. I love you and I thank you for your grace you've extended to me. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys do something bold? This is for you, this is not for me. Would you join me and do something bold? If you feel like I need to step it up, I have not been living and, been and using the time that has been given to me, and I'm ready to step it up as a follower of Jesus, would you raise your hand with me and do something bold as a vow for yourself? This is not for me. I can do better than this. Awesome, awesome. And if you prayed that second half of the prayer, and I don't know if there's anybody here, but I feel like it's my obligation to ask this. Did anybody here, would you boldly, or with people who love you, would you raise your hand if you accepted Jesus into your heart this morning? Anybody? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you guys so much for um, listening to this really difficult message to bring. I appreciate you guys. I'm going to pray for you, and then Pastor Andy has some words for you. Jesus, we come to you. We come to you to step it up because we know that you have given us so much life in you. You give us so much freedom and value because you died on the cross for us. So we want to take this time to honor you with our lives, honor you with our hearts and our minds. We give you this day. We give you our praise because you're worthy of it. Pray this in your name. Amen.